0: global update and after we open in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for God's people. Thank you for salvation through faith in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you care for us and you love us each and every day. And Lord, as we open up the, the Word of God a little bit later and look at some of the things from the book of Acts, uh, Lord, it's going to be a very challenging and exciting lesson uh, tonight from uh, Acts 16. Pray that you'd do as you always do, bless your word. Then, Lord, as we take a few minutes to look at some of the things taking place around the world and domestically, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd always help us to be conscious of the fact that Jesus could return at any moment to take us home to be with him. So Lord, help us to be active and excited about serving you in the hours, the minutes, the days maybe that we have left We'll give the honor and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Good to see y'all. And uh, let's see. We're going to start out with an interesting one. This came out yesterday. And, of course, if you've been watching the news, you already know the the update today, which we'll get to. But uh, one of the big things that has been plaguing the conservative as well as the liberal medias and people and different Democrats versus Republicans and all that thing has, has been the issue of the voting machines that were put out by Dominion. Were they corrupt? Or were they not corrupt? Well, the Dominion, of course, is holding fast and strong that nothing they did was inappropriate or wrong. Uh, if you were, And there's a reason why I'm bringing this up because it, it goes to the globalist movement and what's taking place. And we had this major faction between Fox News, and, which is more on the conservative bend, versus Dominion, who, of course, was accused by uh, the president and Fox News and other outlets of putting out uh, or basically corrupting the election. All right, so I'm, uh, if you're not familiar with this, just going to read a couple of quick things and then we'll go into what actually happened. It was settled today. Uh, So what to expect in the Dominion versus Fox defamation trial, which everybody thought was going to kick off uh, yesterday. April 16th uh, was when this first came out. One of the most closely watched U.S. media trials in decades kicks off in a Delaware court on Tuesday as Fox and Fox News face a 1.6 Billion-dollar defamation lawsuit by Dominion Voting Systems over the network's coverage of false claims that the ballot counter uh, uh, company rigged the 2020 presidential election. Uh, of course, the, the news that's being given out here uh, kind of tells a little bit of a slant when they said the coverage of false claims, uh, which is making a statement in and of itself. They didn't know if they were false or not false because the trial hadn't taken place. But the uh, um, the reason why this is important is most people in this room, most people that are of a conservative bend, are under the strong leaning, at least we'll put it that way, that there were issues with the past election. So there's been this constant, as you know, back and forth, back and forth, who's right, who's wrong, who's who's hiding things, who's not, and... The judge in this case basically came out with and said, "Listen, I've gone through the evidence. I I believe that uh, uh, Fox News did put out false information. All right, so Fox, on its face, is being told before the trial starts that you're basically guilty of putting out false information. So what was the trial was going to be was whether they maliciously spread that false news to try and hurt." uh, Dominion. Well lo and behold this morning I wake up and it's like there's a settlement and I'm like wow that didn't take long. Now first of all if you're not famis- familiar with how the judicial system runs and you're not familiar with how much it costs to go through this stuff uh, you're looking at massive amounts of money with lawyers and strategies and all these things plus the potential of losing uh, viewership on Fox News so there's a lot Writing on what they decided to do, so what takes place well this morning here it is Fox News settles defamation suit for seven hundred and eighty seven point five million dollars. Dominion says, so I was surprised they put it out, but uh, uh, they got seven hundred and eighty seven million dollars in the, that they'll add to the coffers unless there's some type of a um, I, I don't i can't see anyone debating this based on they've already Two sides have agreed to it. Fox News reached last-minute settlement with Dominion's voting systems, which accused Fox News of pushing conspiracies that harm the company. And again, that came out today, Wednesday, April nineteenth. So, what's the what's the prophetic nexus here? How do how do we analyze this, and what is the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is this: if you want to, and this is this is the caution. If you want to spread things that you absolutely positively cannot prove, even though it may be true, uh, you put yourself in a very precarious position. And Fox News put themselves in a precarious position of $787 million that they have to give up uh, based on. You've got, when you report news, and this is a, a learning to the conservatives as well as to the liberals, unfortunately. One of those two seems to get away with a whole lot more of non-documentation, but you better have your documentation in order if you're going to make an accusation. It's kind of like a cop that would uh, uh, arrest or a policeman that would arrest somebody and say, well, I think you did this. Well, based on what? Well, uh, you know, you kind of match the description and you kind of look like the person and you kind of were in the wrong place at the wrong time, so you're... I believe uh and they arrest them, and then they end up uh, getting released, and the d a throws the case out. why Because they didn't have their ducks in an order so uh again, I know the opinions are all over the board here tonight, and it's like, well, I believe with all my heart that Dominion was bad, and others are saying how do you how can you prove that i you know you can't well that's kind of he said she said issue. But here's from a Christian perspective what we can pull out of this and then from a globalist perspective what do we pull out of this? Well, number one, if you believe that the election was not done properly and certainly there are those that hold strongly to that, uh, the biggest thing that upset me and, and again, I talk very openly and frankly about these things. When Mike Lindell came out uh, several, probably a year ago, and he was going to have his conference, uh, at which he did have, and he invited all the news channels into his whatever uh, studio they were using. And uh, he said, I've got all the evidence, and I'm ready to give it to everybody, and I'm going to give it to everybody. And it was like, okay, here we go. We're going to get the documentation. And then during the conference, what did he do? He shut it down and said, I'm not going to give it to them because they're going to spin it and corrupt it and shut his own conference down without giving them the info. So, again, it's a he said, she said. I'm not making a statement one way or the other. Uh, I know there's strong opinions on this. But the issue is, listen, when, when the Bible tells Christians When you tell others, what? You better have a good answer for your faith. In other words, you better be able to answer people with good, solid information, and unfortunately, that just does not appear to have happened with this particular issue. So, what do we have? we got He Said, She Said, Fox News is out, $787 million, and life goes on. What's going to happen at the next election? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? But it's interesting, and, and I like to bring in Second Timothy three one. perilous times are here. And uh, uh, when we see the things that are taking place in the government today, and we're going to get into some of that uh, in our fourth story that we're going to be on, there are issues, and there are ramifications to who is in the government, and we all know that. So anyway, it's interesting. Um what more can you say? It's like the judge has spoken, the companies have spoken, and I don't know that probably a whole lot of us in here are saying, oh, that's a wonderful settlement. I'm not so sure it's a wonderful settlement, but it's what happened. So there you have it. Interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, actually, I was just talking to someone about the, uh, the European Union and uh, basically some of the things taking place there. So it's very interesting. Now if I asked you, this will be interesting. This is a um you you yell out what you think. What is the current inflation rate in the United States? Anybody want to guess? Either way, what you really think it is. All right, I'm here in 18, I'm here in 20. What's the media telling us? 7 something, right? So so it's interesting when we look at this now Again, you always take, as we all know, having been around the block a few times. You take anything from the media with a bit of a grain of a salt. Grain of salt. But when you're looking at, uh, and you can't probably see the uh, the words on the side, but I'm just going to go through it. So Britain now has Western Europe's highest inflation rate. So the United Kingdom. Is listed at 10.1, Austria at 9.2, Italy 8.2, Sweden 8.1, Portugal 8, Germany 7.8, Denmark 7.3, Ireland 7, Finland 6.8, France 6.6, Norway 6.5, Belgium 4.9, Netherlands 4.5, and Spain, which this one kind of shocked me, they have a 3.1. I would have assumed that would have been much, much higher than that. Uh, But anyway, this is what uh, is being reported. At least through the media at this point. So, what's the point that we're making here? Is America's economy kind of in a little bit of a problem right now? Okay, and uh, we go from yeah to major, (laughs) all the above. Uh, We look at the the European Union economic issues, Europe's European uh, uh, economies issues. Uh, Basically, all over the world, except for a very, very select few. Uh, most every single country is in some type of economic trouble right now, and of course, what was the major issue that got blamed for the economic problems that everybody has today? It's COVID, right? I mean, everybody blamed COVID. It's the it's the big thing. It shut down work. It shut down this. It shut down that. Well, yes and no. Yes, COVID had a part in it, but who's the one that shut everything down? Did COVID shut it down? COVID had no no possibility of shutting it down. It's a, it's a sickness. It's not a government. Uh, so the governments decided, based on what was taking place, to take very strong, um, I guess we'll call them precautions. I'm not so sure that even the medical community at this point, which was very bifurcated, fighting one another, and now... Both sides of the medical community are basically saying, uh, yeah, we did some major mess-ups uh, with the treatment plans and the vaccination plans and the mask. Oh, by the way, do you know the mask mask got lifted at hospitals today? So, uh, you know, it's moving forward. But, again, I don't want to diminish that COVID was a real thing. It was a real thing. I lost multiple people that were very close to me, including Jimmy DeYoung uh his partner, David James uh, died of COVID, and we had several folks here in the church die from COVID, so it was a real deal. Now, how the government responded to it and the things they did, again, there'll be various opinions on that, but again, what's, what's the point of all this? When you look at Revelation chapter 13, talking about the one world economy that's going to come, it makes perfect sense that what has to happen? Now, is it going to happen in our generation or our lifetime? We do not know. We, do, we just don't. Christ could come today. He may tarry like he has for 2,000 years and not come for a significant time. But the one thing we do know, according to Scripture, is that one day there will be a one-world economy, Revelation 13. You remember, and we, I mean, we go through this often, the Bible makes it very clear at the end of Revelation 13 that unless you have a mark on your... And uh, right hand, hand or forehead uh, that you won't be able to buy or sell. So it's speaking to that one world government. Well, what is the better mode to get to a one world government than every economy in the world is collapsing? So it, it makes perfect sense that someday, if this this is this the one, don't know. Are we? Is this is rapture going to happen in our generation? Well, I sure hope so, but we don't know. And uh, I see a few uh, newer folks here. If you're not familiar with what the rapture is, it's the next major event on God's prophetic calendar, which is when Christ comes in the air, and the dead in Christ go home first. Then those of us that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4:13 to 18. So that event is the next major event that's coming. And then what's going to happen? Well, the seven-year tribulation is going to kick in, and the last half of that seven-year tribulation is when uh, the Mark of the Beast, the 666, will be implemented, one world economy, one world government, and one world religion. Everyone will either worship uh, the Antichrist in his system or they will be killed. They'll be martyred, Revelation 13:15. All right, so that's why we, we keep a look at some of these things. Uh, on the opposite end of the scale, well, not so much. China's economy gathers speed. Global risk raise challenges to the outlook. Well, uh, if, what basically this is, it's showing if you see the peak back in 2021 when China was at its uh, best point economically, and they're starting to slowly come back up again. Again, why do we care about China? And It's the same thing, and it always comes back to the same thing over and over and over and over again. It comes right back to Revelation, who knows the chapter? I say it often enough. 16, uh, uh, Revelation 13 is the one world government, one world uh, economy, and one world religion. Revelation 16 is when the kings of the east come up against Israel, so that's where China basically comes into play. So when we're looking at China uh, lining up with Russia, with them lining up with Iran, with them lining up with Syria, all these different things are all in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Revelation uh, 16, all these things are coming together, and, and it's not surprising it's happening. It's amazing, It's uh, so much has taken place in our generation. All right. One of the other big ones that the course is always big news: European Union Parliament backs overhaul of Europe's biggest climate policy. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Now, you say, "Well, why why are we as uh, uh, interested in the climate?" Well, again, this all has to do with setting up the one world government, which has to come, and and just so people, and especially those watching on the internet we're not talking, oh, we're thinking about this or some crazy concept that we came up here at Union Grove Baptist Church. This is all 100% out of Scripture. Revelation 13, again, makes these things absolutely clear that there's going to be things that are going to drive the entire world that has to result in a one-world ruler known as who? Antichrist, all right, Revelation, or, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Everything revolves around this Antichrist who will be the world ruler. And again, the key chapter, and I, and I just can't stress it enough, Revelation 13 goes through the satanic trinity. So very quickly reviewing who is the satanic trinity. It's a false trinity, it's a satanic trinity, but uh, everything that God does, Satan wants to mock in some way, or try and mimic in some way. So when you look at the satanic trinity out of Revelation 13, who mimics God the Father? Okay, we'll take Satan as uh, the one that mimics God the Father. Who mimics uh, the the Son, Jesus Christ? Antichrist. That's why in uh, Revelation it talks about uh, he gets a fatal wound that's healed. Who had a fatal wound and rose from the dead? Jesus Christ. And uh, everything the Antichrist does is going to be a mimic and a, and a mockery of what Christ did. So we have Satan, Antichrist, and who mimics the Holy Spirit? False prophet, all right? And that's in multiple places in the book of Revelation as well. All right, so the reason why we're looking at the climate change issue, why it, it, is that localized to the European Union or is it bigger than the European Union? It's world. It's global. So everything we're looking at, why do we care about China? Why do we care about the European Union? Why do we care about uh, uh, China, Russia, Middle Eastern places? Because all of these things in the news are setting the stage for that Bible prophecy to all come together someday. And it will come together. All right, real quick. uh, European Union, Strasbourg, France, April 18th. The European Parliament on Tuesday approved sweeping reforms to make the European Union climate change policies more ambitious, including an upgrade of the bloc's carbon market that is set to hike the cost of polluting in Europe. Europe's carbon market forces power plants and factories to buy CO2 permits when they pollute. It has slashed those sectors' emissions by 43% since 2005, but is facing a revamp to hit more ambitious European European Union climate change targets. Parliament voted to approve with a large minority, or majority, sorry, a deal agreed last year by negotiators from European Union countries and Parliament to reform the carbon market to cut emissions by 62% from 2005 levels by 2030. Now, let me make it very clear again. I am not opposed to clean air. I like breathing clean air. I don't like when I lived in Indiana in the Hammond area and uh, you'd go through the steel mills and you'd about gag to death because of the stench. So I'm all for clean air. The issue, though, goes much, much deeper than clean air in a clean environment. So I'm all for this. Great. Clean the air up. That's good. The reason they're doing it, though, and their perspective, which of course is a non-biblical one, is with the presumption that if we don't do this, we're all going to die in a few years. Now, is the Lord part of this? Is he encouraging this? I don't know. I'm not, Again, I'm not opposed to this, but the earth is not going away, regardless of whether there's pollution on it or not. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because I know that the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is what the rapture of the church when we go up to, when God takes one generation of believers to heaven what ha- what happens next after the rapture seven year period of tribulation How do we know it's seven year Daniel chapter nine verse twenty seven very clearly stated well, let's see that's only seven more years that the earth is guaranteed Well anything happen after the seven year tribulation? oh. Jesus Christ comes back, Revelation 19, 11 to 21, sets up his, as you stated, a 1,000-year 1, on-earth kingdom known as the millennium, coming from the word 1,000. So we have a 1,000-year period where Christ will be living and reigning on this earth. By the way, does God say what kind of state? That's a, maybe a bad word, but it's the best I can come up with. What kind of uh, earthly conditions will exist when Jesus is living on this earth? What kind? Perfect, near perfect. It returns back to an Edenic state. Basically, the curse is lifted off of the land and uh, animal kingdom, and things are going to return back to basically the way they were before Adam and Eve sinned. talks about the great uh, crops that will happen in Israel. It talks about the Dead Sea, which nothing lives in now, being made alive again. It talks about great crops that will happen. It talks about the wolf lying down with the lamb and the child playing in the den of the serpent. So we have a tremendous change. So when Jesus comes back, you're going to get a near-perfect earth. By the way, where are you going to be during that millennial kingdom? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, where, Where will you be? You'll be here. Why? Because uh, when the rapture happens, what do you get when you go up to heaven? You get a glorified body. Who, where do you find that? First Corinthians 15 talks about this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And what is does that hold? At the rapture. Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15.50, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be Changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, what are you going to get? That glorified body. So we'll be up in heaven for seven years. Jesus comes back, uh, uh, Revelation 19, uh, uh, again, 11 to 21. We follow him on white horses of all things, but uh, apparently they got a nice big bunch of white horses up there. We all come back with Jesus, sets up his kingdom, and we'll rule with him for a thousand years. All right. So all these things that we're seeing are simply setting the stage for the Antichrist to move in, set up his one world global system, and all these problems. There's got to be problems for there to be a hero. There's got to be tragic things taking place in this earth in order to have a hero who is whom? It's got to be the Antichrist, okay? So all these things that you see, all the problems with the world, they all are, again, and I love what Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and many of you knew him, saw him, he was, uh, for those that are newer here, he was one of my very, very close mentors and friends, and uh, he'd always say this, and if you ever listened to him on TV or radio or saw him in person, he'd always say this, these events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. (laughs) And uh, it is. All right, let's see, here's a win, uh, at least I call it a win. Uh, Federal court blocks California city's gas stove. So I was happy to hear that uh, at least California uh, is going to be allowed to use their natural gas, which means Wisconsin will probably be able to keep ours for a while uh, until these things get out of hand. But the Supreme Court actually blocked it. And uh, I, I, I know our current president administration is all about green I'm still about natural gas and driving cars and all that, so that's your choice. But anyway, the the courts knocked it down, and uh, California gets to keep their gas stoves. Again, why do I care about this? It's all a big, giant government issue. It's all about government control. It's all about how the government one day will combine across the world to be a massive one-rule system, and this one... Gave us some wind, so maybe the rapture isn't going to happen tonight. I don't know, but uh, interesting. Okay, before I get to that, I do want to go to one other major issue that I basically wasn't up to speed on. Hopefully I can find my paper here. Uh, where are you? Oh, here we go. By the way, a uh, couple of media outlets I like. The Washington Stand. Now, when I say that word, you may go, ah, the Washington Stand. That sounds terrible. No, it's actually good. It's a conservative group. Uh, it's free, which is what I really like. Uh, the Washington Stand. Uh, I can't think of the other one. There's another one, except you got to pay at least a buck a, a month for it. It starts with an E. What is it? I, I spell it. E-P-O-C-H. Okay, Epic. E P O S. Oh, Epic Times. Yeah, that's it. I get. I'm sorry. I got five people talking. It didn't come. <laughs> I couldn't catch it. Uh, epic Times. Yeah. Uh, I get the stuff from them every single day. Except every time you try to open an article, if you don't pay the money, they won't let you open it. So I'm sticking with the Washington Stand until I decide to. Uh, maybe if I find. 50 bucks on the side of the road, I'll buy it, but who knows. Anyway, uh, but it's a good one. It's a good conservative outlet. Um, I do, not because it's a necessary, it's not conservative, but Reuters, even though it's more of a liberal outlet, they do give a lot of free information, and some of the stuff at least uh, is makes sense. But the Washington Stand uh, is definitely, it's just WashingtonStand.com if you don't get it. They got some good stuff that uh, definitely comes at it from a conservative and even sometimes a Christian viewpoint. Well, let's talk about this and then we'll get into Acts. Here's the uh, headline from yesterday Two Street Riots, One Weekend, The Violent Legacy of Anti Parent Policies. The Violent Legacy of Anti Parent Policies. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 talks about what will take place in the last days of the church age, including disobedience to parents, unholy, unloving, unthankful, brutal, without self-control. How many of you saw any of the scenes from uh, Chicago riots? All right, many of you. I, I really, I get so disturbed by those Visuals, I mean, it just absolutely—I I, almost—I got to turn it off. I can't watch somebody getting them getting beat up. It just drives me crazy. I I, I can't stand it. So, um, and then, I mean, they were showing people getting shot. They're showing people getting beat up, and it it just it's very 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 disturbing what's taking place. By the way, is Racine County, Kenosha County, and Milwaukee County exempt from this type of behavior? No, have you seen it here? Have I seen it in Milwaukee and some of you? Oh, yeah. So we're not exempt from what's taking place around the country. Why is lawlessness happening? Because it's exactly what God said would happen as we get closer and closer to when Christ will come back and get us out of here. Lawlessness will abound. Matthew uh, chapter 24, Christ told us that in the Olivet Discourse. Two street riots one weekend, hundreds of people blocking streets, looting stores, and destroying property should not be normal occurrences. Well, what's the what? What are they saying? It is a normal occurrence. Alas, they are increasingly normal in America's large cities. Unusually violent street incidents in Chicago and Los Angeles over the weekend illustrate the nation's civilization decline. Civilizations decline. Folks, when civilizations decline, what happens to them? If you've read your history, what happens? Say bye. The civilizations decline and they disappear. Before I move on, is there a potential remedy to the decline of America? Look in the mirror, Christian. We're it. We're it. Every single Bible-believing church, every single Bible-believing Christian is the only hope America has. It's not going to change. And Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 tells us that we are God's ambassadors. Folks, if we do nothing, if we lie down and say it's all good, we're not going to evangelize, we're not going to tell, by the way, picking up guns is not going to change the heart. It may stop a couple of people from Killing you, but it's not going to change the country. The only hope is when the gospel gets out and Bible believing folks evangelize the best they can and hopefully put at least a little bit of deterrence in that. Is, God, is the church doing its work across the country? What's your opinion? We're not. We're just not. And it's sad uh, that we're going down this slippery slope and uh, we're just going to keep going in the same direction unless a revival hits. Unusually violent street incidents in Chicago and Los Angeles over the weekend illustrate the nation's civili- civilizational decline and point to at least one of the many causes. Videos captured early Sunday morning show that a mob approximately 100 strong smashed through a glass door at an uh, Arco gas station in Compton, California, ransacked the place while the overnight clerk hid in the bathroom. At least you have one smart guy. The mob of looters left a trail of destruction at multiple stores, according to one local news report, while others said Sheriff's deputies received reports of gunshots in the area. Police arrived too late to stop the mayhem, not to mention being wildly outnumbered, but are reviewing video for possible charges. By the way, and I don't mean to go here, but I'm going to go here. So when Sheriff Clark was still in office and when I took over after him, this didn't happen. You know why? Because... We had plans, we responded, we had deputies set up, we had Milwaukee Police Department set up so that when we got any kind of intelligence that any group was starting to form, guess what we did? Well, you fill the street with cops and you push them back up the hill and send them home so they're not down there killing, looting, and wrecking things. When they start, as soon as one person tried to step onto the freeway, squads were there to stop them, keep them on the city streets, don't let them get up on the freeway. I mean, if you wanted to see the sheriff explode when he was in office, watch somebody put one foot onto the freeway past a squad car. I mean, it was strong what? Leadership. Where's the leadership in law enforcement today? Where's the leadership in our government offices? Where's the leadership in sheriff's office and police departments? Well, it went bye-bye, except for a very few. It's, it's just it's, it's mind-boggling where we've gone. You say, oh, Pastor, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, meanwhile, in Chicago, hundreds of teens swarmed the city's downtown area on Saturday night. Why? Why? Because there's no law enforcement, thousands of cops work down there, and the mayor is more liberal than the one they just got rid of. You let mayhem go, and folks, this again, I'm I'm sounding pretty harsh here, and I guess I am, but here's the issue: everything that we're seeing, forget what's actually happening for a minute. Let's look at it from a biblical perspective. Lawlessness will abound in the latter days. And, folks, the governmental systems, the, the liberal socialist uh, agenda is being pushed to the max, and we're getting exactly what the people voted to get. And uh, it's unfortunate. Well, we could go on and on and on with this, but uh, i got to go to a better place. That's bad. <laughs> How about let's go to the Book of Acts, where we start out with a good fight i serious. We're going to talk about a good fight that took place in Scripture tonight. So as we peel God's word from the book of Acts, let's uh, go to Acts chapter 15. You've got the handout. It's kind of a lengthy one. I'm going to have to pay extra to uh, the copy machine this month, but good to see you, Vita. That's praise the Lord to see you sitting there tonight. That's wonderful. Vita's been going through some pretty tough times, and here she is sitting in church. So God bless you. It's good to see you. All right, now that that now that made me happy, seeing Vita tonight. I'm, I'm not going to be grouchy anymore. <laughs> All right, Acts 1536. then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, we we're done with the first missionary journey. Now Paul's getting ready to go on his second missionary journey, and we're going to get some drama tonight. So Paul says, let us go, now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. All right, so if you look up here, this is basically where Paul went on his first missionary journey. Again, uh, they took off basically from Antioch on the right side. There's two Antiochs. There's Antioch in Syria, and there's Antioch up in uh, uh, the North Woods there in uh, Asia Minor. And uh, those two different uh, – when you see Antioch, you got to figure out which one they're talking about. But anyway, they start off – with Antioch Syria, which is, of a, a course, above Jerusalem, which is a little bit south of there. And they started going into uh, Asia Minor and preaching the gospel there. So Paul says, listen, I, I love the folks there. I want to go back. I want to start visiting them. So we're going to start getting into his second missionary journey. Now here's the, and this is a very interesting little scenario we we're going to go into. And when I said there's going to be a fight, I wasn't kidding. Now, no, I don't think it was fisticuffs, but you are going to get a couple of Christian guys that are good guys, that are godly guys, that are going to get into a pretty bad quarrel here. And let's see what happens. So Barnabas, by the way, what does the word Barnabas mean? I think I heard it starts with an E. Encouragement. Barnabas was the great guy. He was the encourager guy. He was um, a, you know, we can do it kind of guy. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Now, Mark happened to be, and we get this out of uh, Colossians 4.10, it tells us that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. So Mark had an affinity towards his buddy Mark. That's a good thing, but yeah, there's another problem here. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him, basically on the second missionary journey, Mark. But, verse 38, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So we got a little strained relationship here. Paul was working with Mark on on, on one of his... Uh, missionary journeys, basically in Pamphylia. And uh, Mark, for whatever reason, said, you know what, guys? I'm done with this. Bye-bye. And he takes off. And uh, Mark leaves, uh, uh, basically, Paul and takes off and goes home to Jerusalem. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that's the issue? Well, in Acts 13, two chapters earlier, we have this, if you will, issue that takes place which is the account of John leaving Paul, or Mark leaving Paul, same person. Now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they began or they came to Perg and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. Hmm, why did he do that? The Bible doesn't tell us. But the Bible tells us here that we have a little bit of a relationship problem here based on what had taken place. So basically it would be, if and just think about this scenario. So you team up with somebody. Let's say we're going to do a summer missions trip and you're the leader. Keep that in mind. You're the leader. Not the number two person. You're the leader. And you say, okay, we're going to uh, when we're in the Dominican Republic, we're going to work in this particular spot. You all with me? And everybody says, oh, yeah, let's do it. We're all good to go. And one person says, uh, wait a minute, Mr. Leader, Mrs. Leader, I don't think I want to go there. You're like, well, what do you mean you don't want to go there? We're all here. We all came this far. We all got on the plane. We went over to the Dominican Republic. We're all set up. We're ready to go. No, uh, I'm not feeling it. I want to go back to I want to go back to Wisconsin. I am tired of this. Well, Paul didn't take kindly to that. And think about what was Paul's position. What was what would you call Paul? The what? What was he called? Starts with an A. He's an apostle. He had leadership. He was a called out individual called by God to serve basically in this leadership role. And it's like, well, did Paul's position basically give him the authority over uh, John Mark? Well, Paul certainly thought so, (laughs) and he was not happy about it. So we have this issue between two Christians that have a problem. Now, I think this gets into a very, very practical Why in the world did God put that in the Scripture? That two godly individuals are going at it that there's a disagreement that it's just not going well. Well, I think there's multiple things, and I'm going to show you several scriptures to back up what I'm going to say. Paul basically goes out. He's going to start his journey, but not with Barnabas or Mark, and Barnabas and Mark are going to go to a different place. And Basically, I think they got involved in ministry as well, but it doesn't tell us a lot about that. So we have this bit of a division in what's taking place. All right, so uh, keep that in mind. We're going to look at the next verse, and then we're going to try and put this together. So in Acts 15.39, then the contention, and basically from the Greek language, the word means provoking or stirring up, arousing, great contention, stirring up anger. It became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark, and sailed to Cyprus. So they're going to go to Cyprus, which happened to be Barnabas's home, by the way. doesn't state that. But uh, Barney says, I'm going home. I'm taking my uh, purple dragon and going home. And uh, that's exactly what he did. He left. He's out. And uh, 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 the, it's a sharp contention. All right. Now let's think about this. And hopefully it doesn't happen often, but on occasion, even with a Christian brother or Christian sister, can contentions become extremely sharp. Can it happen? Absolutely it can. I mean, it does. Uh, Andy, I mean, you just look at church history. I mean, there's <laughs> you can go over and over. You look at modern day churches. Uh, church splits are not unusual. Now, praise the Lord, we haven't had one here, and I hope we never do, but uh, all of a sudden something pops up, and I mean, it happens all over the country, all over the world. And uh you know, you know, like, uh, I want red carpet, and he wants blue carpet. Or I want red chairs, and I want red pews. Or a uh, pastor said something I don't disagree with, when he was mean to me, and he hurt my feelings, and the next thing, everybody takes up a report. There's a billion different things that split churches. A lot of them are very petty. Some are doctrinal, or maybe it's worthwhile splitting to get it right. But the issue is this. Can the church be destroyed from without the four walls. It can't. What happens to churches and people is something happens in the relationship just like happened here between Paul and Barnabas to where there was this hot contention and they end up splitting. Now, God never says that was a good thing. He never says it was a bad thing. But when you just think through it, it's like, is it when you look at a godly individual? Why in the world did something like this take place? So let's move on a little bit. So we know what Barnabas does. He takes Mark, his cousin, heads back to Cyprus, and Paul said, "All right, you guys do your thing, and I'm choosing Silas," and departed. Now catch the next sentence or part of the sentence. Paul and Silas were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Never tells us that happened with the other two. But uh, Paul said, listen, we, I, I said we're going to go back. We're going to retrace our steps. We're going to go back and check on the churches and help them uh, uh, if they need help and see how they're doing. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 41, and he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right? We don't hear about the other two, or do we? We actually do. I'm going to take you to two different passages now, one about Barnabas and one about John Mark. Now, I'm also going to give you the dates in a moment as to when these were written. So I will tell you this up front, that when we're going to look at Colossians next, it was written after this event took place. So we find out that there's some restitution, at least, that took place between these individuals. Colossians 3, verse 12, and we'll get to uh, the other two in a minute, but here's setting the stage. This is what godly individuals should do. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Paul and Barnabas, (laughs) put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also may do. It says must. It's non-negotiable. Now, let's go to what happened with Paul and Barnabas for a minute. Let's assume, and I think it's a correct assumption, that Paul was basically in the leadership. He was the one being directed by the Holy Spirit as to where to go on his missionary journey. So Paul, would making restitution and getting that relationship fixed, do you think that would be a proper thing to do, regardless of position, It is, and we're going to see that that's what took place, I believe. However, if Paul was the person in leadership, which I think Scripture says he was, if someone basically refuses or turns back on the mission that basically the one in leadership gave to them, basically Paul through the Holy Spirit, you think there might be a little bit of concern about having that person come to work again for you. I think that's a valid concern. And I think that's what what took place here. So Paul basically says, listen, no we're not going to take this person back on as uh, one of my partners personally but yet I believe Paul probably prayed, as we're going to see for Barnabas and for Mark, that God would use them, and we're going to see that he actually did. All right, let's go to, okay, Paul's second missionary journey, which is right after that in 49 A.D. when they had this little split up. So the next time we hear about Barnabas is in the book of Colossians, written in about 62 A.D., and what happens? Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, and Paul's writing now, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, what are you to do? Welcome him. Well, wait a minute now. If he was an arch enemy, what would he have said? And He'd say, keep this guy out of your church. He's a bad egg. He says to welcome him. So there obviously was some type of a reconciliation that took place, even though there was this vehement difference between the two of them. They figured it out, and uh, that's the best we know. We're not told any more about uh, Barnabas uh, after this time. So he said, uh, welcome him And Jesus who is called justice, and here's, here's how he felt about Barnabas now. These are my only what? Fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision they have proved to be a comfort to me. All right, so I I think that the little bit of a rift they had, the strong disagreement they had, they got together somewhere, gave each other a hug, said, "Hey, man, you know, I I probably shouldn't have left you," and I'm sure they get they made up and uh, had a little dinner together, and life is good. But uh, I mean, it just makes it very clear that the 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 relationship obviously was destroyed when he says these are my fellow workers, whereas in the past like uh, stay away from me, buddy. <laughs> All right, how about uh, Barnabas? First Corinthians' also written about 55 A.D, about uh, let's say about six years after the, the contention happened. First Corinthians nine: "My defense to those who examine me is this: Do we have no right to eat and drink? Now Paul is being attacked by the Corinthian church. He's making a defense for who he is. So he's going through a defense, and now he's going to pull Barnabas into the discussion. My defense to those who are examining me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So now Barnabas gets pulled back into the equation six years later, and apparently somehow they're working, and it appears they're working together. So again, what's the point of all this? The point is leadership sometimes makes decisions that others don't appreciate. And in this case obviously John Mark didn't appreciate Paul. In the one case Barnabas and Mark decide to split from Paul, do their own thing. But again I think God does what he always does with Christian relationships. Eventually there's restoration. They get back together. They begin to work out the way the Lord had planned for them and uh, get through that tough time. So why does God bring this up? And I think it's very reasonable to conclude that God's people are going to get into tiffs once in a while. Is it a good thing? Of course not. It's a bad thing. We don't want to get in tiffs and upset and get bent out of shape. But when it does, and when you're strongly convinced this is the way it's going to be, all right, And maybe you're right. But after, if you will, the deportation takes place, you think it's a good idea to get back together with somebody you're going to live with forever? I think so. (laughs) All right, let's move on. It's a good good lesson. It just really is. Uh, Hardships sometimes happen, but move beyond it and move on. Acts 15.40, but Paul chose Silas. Departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he, Paul, went through Syrian solicity. What it was Cilicia doing? What strengthening the churches. I mean, this was the guy that uh, the pastors were there, but this guy came in, and uh, I mean, he was just the rah-rah guy. He was, uh, I don't know, you think they're one of your favorite people you listen to on the radio or television or whatever, and it's just a preacher you really uh, 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 are so appreciative of, and they've got that. They just know how to deliver things. They're really good, and they walk into the church, and everybody goes, man, this is great stuff. That's what Paul was able to do. All right, so now we're going to start on, uh, for 15, 20 minutes that we have left, we're going to get into Paul's second missionary journey. So we've gone through his first one, and now it's time to go to number two. All right, so we're all the way into Acts 16 now. Then he, speaking of Paul, Came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now we all know Timothy, right? The son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Uh-oh. We got a problem here. Now remember when this is. This is way back when the church age was just starting. Acts 16, I mean Acts 2 is when the church starts basically. So we've got these things taking place. Now I've been around for some 25 years at this point, but it's still pretty fresh. Now we've got two individuals that come from two very different backgrounds and it's going to be problematic. We've got a Jew who's married to a what? A Greek which is a what? And then another G word. A non-Jew is a Gentile. So we got a Jew married with a Gentile, which quite frankly, uh, if we go back to the beginning of Acts, he talked about going to Jerusalem, Judea, then where was next? Samaria. What, who lived in Samaria? Jews and Greeks or Gentiles that married each other. All right, they were kind of like the anathema people. Well, here we've got Timothy coming out of one of those, uh, if you will, and by the way, I, I had a couple that was here months ago, and uh, we were talking about this Jewish Gentile marriage relationship. And back in the old, or back in the, uh, Jewish times, you did not do that. And I made that statement, and uh, unfortunately, uh, that, along with other Jewish things that they were concerned about, was problematic to them. Now let me make it very, very clear. If you're a Jew and a and you're married to a Gentile today, does not matter. Okay? Are we good on that? If you're a Jew or a Gentile and you married the opposite person, and then the other person, you're, if you're a Gentile and you married a Jewish person, no big deal. There is no deal on that today, for there is no difference today. Back in the Old Testament law, Jews did not marry Gentiles. It was against the law, the Old Testament Mosaic law. So again, I'm guilty of marrying a Jew, which I didn't even know she was Jewish. Valerie has some Jewish blood in her, okay? Dave, I know you wanted to say something. Go ahead, nice and loud. That's all right. Go for it. Yeah, and, and 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 that's that's good, Dave. And Dave has a, a big background in uh, with the Jewish people, and uh, what we're going to see, and he's exactly right. We're going to see a little bit of a problem come up here because of the community in which uh, he happened to live. So let's go through this. So the bottom line is, I'm I'm making this on purpose because back in the day, you didn't do what these two individuals did. It just wasn't appropriate. It was against Jewish law. Uh, but did it happen? Of course, it happened. Um, that's why you had the whole Samaritan village, if you will, community. Uh, today, if you marry a Jew or a Gentile, there's only one thing that the two of them should have. If you're a Christian, if I, you're a Jewish Christian, you are to marry another what? Christian. Doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. If I'm a, uh, uh, if I'm a. What did I say, a Christian Jew? If I'm a Christian Gentile, I can marry a Christian Jew or a Christian Gentile. Now you say, well, where does that come from? Well, God makes it very clear that we're not to be unequally yoked. In other words, uh, God's people should marry other Christians. Now, here's the next problem. I might as well answer all the problems. (laughs) The next problem is, well, what if I'm a Christian or I, I became a Christian after I got married? And, and my, I got saved, but my husband or my wife is not saved. You stay married, and you work with them, and you love them just like you would if, if they were a Christian. And First Corinthians seven says, "Listen, if the unbeliever is willing to stay with you, you love them like, like you live your life and you love on them, and you pray for them, and hopefully someday they come to Christ." And you say, "Well, how about I made a big mistake?" And I was a Christian, and I fell in love with a non christian and we got married and Now I know why they tell you not to marry a unbeliever because he or she won't go to church. I get treated horribly, and on and on the saga goes what should i should I divorce the person because I made, or I mean, I made, I made a big mistake. I shouldn't have married that person. Well, folks, you see this thing once it goes on the finger, it's a done deal. If you, if you, if you were a Christian and you married a non-Christian, well, you know they don't treat me the way a Christian would. No kidding. But you stay with them. You say why? I don't like them. They don't come to church with me. Well, you, that was your choice. But I made a mistake. Yes, you did. You just don't blow it up because you made a mistake, and maybe it's not a match made in heaven, which it wasn't. You say, well, what? A, what about? What about? What about? And, and I mean, we could go till the sky comes down. Now, here's you. And I will give the one last little piece of advice here, because I'm just getting deeper and deeper. Two people that marry. God's perfect plan is for them to stay together, regardless if you did it right, wrong, or indifferent, regardless of whether someone came to Christ after, before, or in the middle of a marriage. God's perfect plan is to stay together. You're like, well, what if? All right. Here's the what if, because here's the next issue. Well, I've gone already beyond what you're suggesting here, and I've been divorced and remarried, and maybe it's more than one marriage. All that can happen. All right. Where do I go? Where do I fit in? How do I deal with all this? What state are you in today? That's the only one we care about. Don't care how many times you were married before. If you did, you did. I mean, what are you going to do? Undo it? You know, and here's where we've got to be so cautious as God's people because, yes, the Scripture is perfectly clear about how we should get married and stay married, and but... And a lot of buts happen in life, don't they? And there's, and boy, we way off subject. But if we, and we're not obviously going to do this. So on Sunday morning, we're close to 280, 300 folks come here. If we had everyone raise their hand that's been divorced, you know what percentage of the crowd would probably raise their hand? I don't know, but it will be, there'll be a lot. You say, well, how do you feel about that as a pastor? I'm praising the Lord that they're here. I'm praising the Lord that folks that went through tough times, went through difficulties, said, listen, I can go to Union Grove Baptist Church where the pastor and the people love me and care for me because they're not holding what I did in the past as an issue, but we're moving forward today. Folks, that's, that's the church that God's love is building. Now, am I condoning sin? Of course not. Am I encouraging people not to stay together? Of course not. But it happens. And folks, in our society, in our culture, it happens every single day in Christian homes. I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't, but it does. And when we make those decisions, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, the decisions made now, we need to take those people that have gone through those tough, difficult times. You bring them in and you help them and you love on them and you help them move forward. And all God's people hopefully will say, How about if uh, a guy's released from Racine Correctional Institution tomorrow who's a burglar or a robber, help people up at gunpoint? decides to come visit Union Grove Baptist Church next week, and he just got out of prison. Oh, that wouldn't be good. Oh, yes, it would. I talked to one guy from Racine Correctional this week. He wasn't a robber or a burglar. He's a bad boy. And I'm he said, I'm going to get released in a month. I'm a Christian. I've placed my faith and trust in Christ. I need a church to go to. Would you let me come? So are you kidding? <laughs> of course I'll let you come. Just remember I'm a former sheriff. <laughs> of course you're welcome here. I and mean, folks, that's the way it should be. Now that's a long circuitous route to get through all of this, but boy, it's so important. To love on folks, to care for folks. We're all messed up. We've all done things we wish we wouldn't have done. Now we may not have done some of the things we talked about tonight, but I, I guarantee you we all done all done. We've all done, sorry, English teachers, we've all done things we wish we wouldn't have done. I don't deserve to be sitting up here. You say, well, what'd you do? I don't know, I was bad and mean to my mama. <laughs> That's enough. I was disobedient. I stole I stole stuff from kids' deaths. I stole stuff from a gas station before I got right with God. I don't deserve to be up here. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner, saved by grace, as everyone is. Well, sorry for that long 15-minute departure from where we were, but is this stuff important in our culture today? It it truly is. And boy, I, I want every single person here, and I mean this with all my heart, to know there's nothing more important to this little bitty pastor, okay, big, big pastor, but little bitty heart, that every single person is welcome here at Uni Grove Baptist Church. And, boy, you guys just show it to folks that come here. You just show it and how You love folks and help them and and invest in them, and that's wonderful. All right, uh, so let's see. We left off somewhere, and uh, on his journey, Paul wanted to have him, Timothy, go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the what? The Jews. Now, you've got to. Why in the world would Paul circumcise somebody at this stage of the game? Are we now preaching the gospel of the grace of God or the Mosaic law? We're preaching the the gospel of the grace of God. However, we're still dealing with people that are steeped in the Mosaic culture and the Mosaic law. And therefore, because as Dave rightly stated, because of the community, because of the Jewish individuals that they were going to minister to, Paul said the better part of valor is to be circumcised at this point. Now, let me make it very clear. Even though 99% of all babies are now circumcised at the hospital before they come home, unless the parents say don't do it. I mean, it's just done as a medical procedure now. So you're like, well, if you were going to minister in a Jewish community, like, let's say Israel, like I've been to many times, and or um, Sherman Park, where I have a bunch of good Orthodox Jewish friends. Now, you're like, how does... And I want to not get graphic here. The issue being... The circumcision in that culture, and the way they did things, was very well known. And if one wasn't circumcised, he would be looked at as an uncircumcised guy they don't want to hang out with because he's, he's not right with God. Circumcision was a huge issue. Remember Acts 15, the big controversy about circumcision in the church, where the Judaizers, this was last week, where the Judaizers said, listen, if you're not circumcised, you're not even a saved person. You Remember that argument? What happened at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 regarding circumcision? Did they demand the Gentiles to be circumcised, yes or no? No. Off the table. We're done with that. Yet Paul in Acts chapter 16 circumcises Timothy so that he can reach the Jewish people. Let me see. Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means. That I might by all means. Nobody knows that one. That I might by all means win some." What he said. So Paul said, okay, Timothy, we're going to have to do this. Your dad's a Jew. We're going to be going to Jewish people. We're going to, I've got to circumcise you, circumcise you based on the culture of the day. Now, that would not take place today. I'll pretty much guarantee you, but the issue is 99% of all males are circumcised in the hospital, so it's a mood issue. Alright, so, let's go to our prophetic calendar, and we're about, let's see, This clock, I always said it had five minutes, so I actually look at that one and balance the two and decide where we're going. Um, (laughs) So here we are. So again, look at the bottom is really what I want you to see. So the Mosaic Law in 1445 B.C., we have Moses getting the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law stayed intact, in effect, until Christ was crucified when he did what with the law? He fulfilled the law. What happened to the temple when Christ was crucified? What happened to the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place? What happened to that veil? It was torn in two. In other words, the law is over. You now may come directly to, if you will, the Holy of Holies through whom? Through Jesus Christ. Uh, He's paid it all, if you will. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which stood behind that curtain, which was where uh, the presence of God was. Uh, 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 Not, by the way, in the Second Temple. It it was in the First Temple. Uh, The glory of God never entered the Second Temple. But the Jewish people believed it was there, even though it wasn't. God made that clear. But the issue is this. That little box down there, transitioning from law to grace, is one of the huge, huge things... We miss it in our theological studies, we miss it in seminaries, we miss it in colleges, and we miss it in many churches, and it is one of the most important things that's going to take place as we transition. Everything doesn't change in the flicker of an eye. It is a bit of a process to get people that have been trained for 1,500 years to do everything this way, and now all of a sudden... Christ shows up, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension show up. Paul, Peter, the apostles, the disciples are commissioned to start preaching something different than the Mosaic law, and it was hard. It was a huge transition, which is why all this took place. All right, uh, one more verse and we'll quit. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. What were they? And I promise this is the last slide, but i got to finish the verse. What were those decrees that were given in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem council? You know, how many of you here have, like, heard of the Council of Nicaea? All right, all, my, all, all of us that came out of denominational backgrounds for the most part. Uh, here's the most important council that ever took place compared to all the others which we're not even going to get into. This was the council at Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council, Acts 15, where it was finally going to be be determined, are we saved by by faith alone, or must we also incorporate the law? And what was the conclusion? Therefore I judge, this was the, the, the decision of the Jerusalem council, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, no Mosaic law, no no six hundred and thirteen commandments, no circumcision, which was part of the Mosaic law, but here are some things that were encouraging them not to do. number one, abstain from things polluted by idols, so somebody off and of course you don 't see that here anymore, maybe in Thailand they still do it they 'll offer food to Buddha. We talked about that, and uh, then they'll they 'll sell it because Buddha just seems to never be hungry, and he never eats, uh, so the food's always there. So And that's what happened back in, in the Old Testament times. They'd sacrifice this food to an idol, which, of course, didn't get eaten because there is no such thing as a true god in an idol. It is nothing more than a block of wood or whatever it is. So they would sell that food, and he's like, well, you don't want this garbage that was offered up to some foreign god, even though the god isn't real. Don't touch it. It's a, uh Leave it alone. Uh, here's something, and of course this is reiterated over and over and over again throughout Old and New Testament, sexual immorality. That's, That's a moral issue. It's still a moral issue today. Just because the Mosaic Law is gone, that doesn't mean we can do anything we want to do. There are still plenty of principles and things that God has given to us, including abstaining from sexual immorality. And another one, he says, listen, don't eat things that are strangled and from blood. Well, now, if you kill an animal by strangling it, what happens to the blood? It's it's still in there, right? You choke the air out of them, but the blood's still in there. So uh, um, God, I believe, made this a principle for two reasons. One, and and my mama was German and Polish, so yes, she did make blood soup. Naughty, naughty, mommy. But uh, (laughs) uh, what I'm saying here is, uh, uh, God's, I think, His perfect will, health-wise, especially back in those days, don't eat the blood. That's one issue. It's just not a healthy thing to do. What's the second reason? Where's the life from? Where's the life from? And I think that's the main reason. You don't, you don't eat where you don't eat the life of the animal, which is the blood. And uh, blood is a very, very significant item in Scripture. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son cleanses us from all sin. So, I mean, the blood is important. Uh, Jesus Christ shed his blood. It's tremendous significance, and with that significance, I think, is the main point here. Uh, Don't eat things strangled, which means the blood's still in it, and from blood. Outside of that, the rest of the Mosaic Law, don't worry about it, don't demand circumcision or anything else, Uh, but those were the, the words that we live by today. So how's a person saved as we close? Well, they're saved by grace in Jesus Christ. That's why when we say everyone's welcome here, we truly mean it because we're all saved by grace. Grace is a free, unmerited gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of our works. Lest any person should boast. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these dear folks that came out on a Wednesday night and for Uh, the young people and the teenagers that are enjoying Awana and Rooted Teens right now. Father, I pray that you'd bless uh, the leadership and the young people, Lord, as they dismiss. Lord, it's a critical time right now when many are uh, making decisions whether uh, they'll follow the Lord this week or whether they'll even accept the Lord this week. So, Father, we uh, commit them to you, Uh, have your will done in their lives. And then, Father, uh, for all of us as we uh, now head back into the battlefield, as we uh, go back to our works and our schools and our homes. Father, would you help us to, to be uh, like Paul and Barnabas and Mark? Maybe not when they got into the contention, but help us to be like them when they got back together, gave each other a hug, maybe shed a few tears over the sin, they, uh, the meanness maybe that they showed, and restoration was given. Father, restore anyone here that's uh, struggling in relationships Help us, Lord, to be what we should be. And thank you so much for saving us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know what, folks?